A reading from Ecclesiasticus. The beginning of human pride is to forsake the Lord. The heart has withdrawn from its maker. For the beginning of pride is sin, and the one who clings to it pours out abominations. Therefore, the Lord brings upon them unheard of calamities and destroys them completely. The Lord overthrows the thrones of rulers and enthrones the lowly in their place. The Lord plucks up the roots of the nations and plants the humble in their places. The Lord lays waste the lands of the nations and destroys them to the foundations of the earth. He removes some of them and destroys them and erases the memory of them from earth. Pride was not created for human beings or violent anger for those born of women. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor, in case someone more distinguished than you have been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give this person your place, and then in disgrace you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This morning before the 8 o'clock service, I was standing with Jan in the vestry, and I turned and I said, I'm having one of those mornings where I'm feeling really keenly the gap between the kingdom of God as revealed to us in Scripture and in the person of Jesus and the institutional church where we meet this morning to celebrate and worship together. There is a difference between the kingdom of God and the church. They're not the same thing. 
In our institutionality, we point towards God's kingdom and strive for it, but we aren't there yet. And there are certain things that the church does and certain functions that we fulfill in our institutionality that sometimes I chafe against. This morning, it just so happens that I'm chafing against preaching. And it's not because I don't want to do it or because I want to get off the hook, although there are some mornings when I feel that way. It's because when I, there's something about these readings that really makes me feel as though by fulfilling my institutional obligation, my duty to stand before you and preach, I am fundamentally disempowering you from doing your own work of struggling with this gospel. So I hope this morning that my words to you are a further encouragement, something like a beginning of your own wrestling with the words of Jesus, and not something like the completion of our work together this morning. Deal? Okay, deal. All right. So, that said, here's what I have to offer you. When Jesus talks about a wedding banquet, as he does in this parable today, he says, when someone invites you to a wedding banquet, When we hear those words, wedding banquet, in scripture, our ears should perk up because the rich tradition of poetic imagery from the Hebrew Bible and also several other instances in the Gospels of Jesus' teachings and actions indicate that in the mind of Jesus and his hearers, the wedding banquet is a code word for the kingdom of heaven. It's an image that comes from the prophet Isaiah about what life with God is like. Imagine the best wedding you've ever been to, a pageant with all the people you love, good food, music, dancing, and the celebration of a life of commitment in love. Imagine that forever. It's a picture of heaven given to us from the Hebrew prophets because that's the closest they could come to describing what we think it might be really like. So when Jesus says, the words, wedding banquet, you know he's talking not about a wedding, but he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he also tells us in many of his sayings and in his teaching and in his example that when he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about something that does not resemble all the kingdoms of this world. Again, consistent with all the teachings of the prophets before him, and the scriptures he knew and studied, and as example, given us an example of this morning's reading from Ecclesiasticus, in God's kingdom, all of our systems of value are reversed. All the kingdoms of this world, including the church, have systems of value that are, if not reversed, at least disrupted in God's kingdom. So we recognize in our own lives the pattern of how we value things and relationships. Uh, And Jesus is inviting us to imagine, and this is why we have to do our own work, Jesus is inviting us to imagine that God's ways are different. And then he offers a few illustrations to show what God's ways might be like. And they have to do with a party and what it means to be a guest at a party and what it means to be the host of a party. I do like, for what it's worth, I really want to emphasize the idea that that Jesus and the Hebrew Bible often compare God and God's kingdom to a party. So 
Try to hang on to that, because in our culture, one doesn't often hear that too often. So, what does it mean to be a guest at the party? Jesus says, if you're invited to the party, don't take for yourself the seat of honor. This is one of the differences, by the way, between the kingdom of God and the institution of the church, because you see all the seats of honor (laughs) have already been chosen. So you don't even really, there's not even really room for you, is there? If you don't take a seat of honor. In case the host comes to you and says, "Um, excuse me, you don't belong there. Uh, Rather take for yourself a low seat so the host may come and say to you, friend, move up higher. This past Friday evening, I participated in a, a moving up ceremony at my school of capoeira, which is a Brazilian martial art that I've been studying for the last two and a half years. And on Friday night, I earned, through ceremonial participation in the troca de cordão, which, which means changing your belt, I earned my third belt in capoeira. It's a yellow belt. And uh, I learned on Friday that yellow is the last belt that you get just for coming to class. <laughs> there are three levels of belt that you earn just for showing up. From this point forward, any belt that I get is going to require a much more significant commitment and and effort on my part to earn. And as the mestre of my school made clear when he introduced the ceremony, it is not necessarily the quality of my capoeira that will determine my... uh, Uh, eligibility for the next belt. He said, if a mestre with 30 years of experience came and knocked on my door last night and he said, I want to participate in your troca de cordões tomorrow and I want a next level belt and I'm the best capoeirista there is in the whole world. He said, well, maybe so, but you have not been part of this community. So what earns a person advancement in the tradition of capoeira is not necessarily their skill at the art but the degree to which they have invested in the community, in the relationships of teacher and student, volunteering to support the school, offering to help out with the related organizations, and uh, ultimately supporting a school for, for indigent children that they run in Brazil. So one's worthiness in the school of Capoeira is measured by one's involvement in the life of the community and in the tradition of teaching and learning in capoeira. So, when the mestre says to you, friend, move up higher, what he's really saying to you is, friend, it's time for you to take on some more responsibility. So in the value systems of this world, we regard the seats of honor as the place where the people who are served sit. But who sits at the head of the table at the banquet of heaven? Jesus. He sits in the place of honor because he gave everything up to and including his own life to serve others. So in the kingdom of God, those who sit in the place of honor are not those who glorify themselves, but those who glorify God and serve others. So in my invitation to become a yellow belt, I understood that the next invitation I receive will depend on me being willing to give more to others in my capoeira school. 
I think that's how it is in the kingdom of God. If we participate in the value systems of God's kingdom, we are invited further into the party, closer to the table where Jesus sits when we serve others more. Ironically, when we do those things, more of the party of God's kingdom is revealed to us. So it's not a trick. (laughs) It's not as though you can say, oh, I'll act humble and then I'll get honored. It doesn't work that way. To be truly humble is truly to serve, and therein lies the invitation for our further glorification in God. Second experience, in this case, what it means to be a host. Now, I've been to a lot of weddings, I've celebrated at a lot of weddings, and I've been married once. And that experience was unlike any other experience of any wedding I've ever had. And I want to tell you, I loved my own wedding. I loved the process of preparing for it. I loved planning it. I loved working with Clancy to get ready for it. But there was one thing that that truly drove me nuts. Compiling the guest list. Trying to figure out whom to invite and who not to invite drove me so nuts, I was ready to scrap the whole thing. Now, it's different for everybody, and you may not have had this own experience if you've been married, but my experience was that I had a really hard time not inviting people because I wanted to be generous. And of the people I did invite, I was really worried that they wouldn't come. Now, this is irrational, I know, but there's something about preparing to get married in that it inspires irrational behavior. And so I located all of my irrationality in this baseless anxiety that people like, you know, my brother would just not show up at my wedding. To compensate for this anxiety, I began to compile an ever larger guest list and an increasingly expanding circle of people who I wanted to invite to my wedding. Um, I didn't actually act on that impulse. But my anxiety was unwarranted. And it was revealed to me as foolishness at my wedding. And I realized that my anxiety was really based in the idea that the wedding was something so important and so precious, I wanted to control other people's experience of it. And what happened, two things happened at my wedding that helped me see past that anxiety. One was my cousin Megan, who came and brought a friend of hers who happens to live in San Francisco and she hadn't seen in a while. And she wanted to spend some time with her, so she brought her to my wedding. Why not? <laughs> Secondly, it's the church in San Francisco, and the, the, you know, it opens up onto the street, and the reception was held there. And after the wedding, late into the night, as the music played and people were dancing and having a good time, people from the street just wandered in and joined the party. <laughs> Why not? I, I, I was walking through the reception at one point, and I passed this throng of like six or eight people that I'd never met before. And, They were kind of looking around like, hey, where's the booze? (laughs) And I thought, you know what? That's great. That's great. My My effort to control the guest list was misplaced because the party is too big for that. I heard a story from a woman that I knew from seminary that really tops them all in this regard, though, because I think she has solved the problem. And in her and her husband's preparations for their wedding, They behaved as though Jesus advises us to. 
And when they planned their marriage, they, they posted flyers on telephone poles all over town, <laughs> telling people the date and time and location of their wedding. And hundreds of people just showed up, of whom maybe they knew 50. And they had a great big wedding and a great big party, and it didn't really matter whether they had prepared enough you know, finger sandwiches for all those people, because that's not why those people came. They came because when do you get a chance to go to a wedding on the basis of an invitation you've seen on a telephone pole? <laughs> there must be something sacred about that. It's so fearless and generous. And that's what Jesus is saying. When you have a party, don't invite the people who you think are going to repay your social capital because you think that will advance you in the rungs of social hierarchy in the world you've decided is worth supporting. Invite the people who, who can never possibly repay you and act with generosity. Why? Because that's how God acts towards us. That's how God has invited us to the party of the kingdom of heaven. We may be surprised to see that God's guest list includes more than just us and the people we like. God, Jesus in revealing God's ways, is inviting us to start now living our life practicing those things that God has been doing since creation so that when we see God more clearly, we'll recognize those things from the life that we lived here and say, ah, yeah, I know what it means to invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind because we did that too. And it showed us something about the kingdom of God. So I know what's happening now. Jesus, by his own example, lives a life of true humility, service to others and glory to God, and reminds us by his generosity, his freely giving everything he had, even his own body as food for the faithful shows us what it means to live in imitation of God's kingdom and in anticipation of what it will be like when we do finally get past the bouncer with the velvet rope <laughs> and are admitted into the kingdom of heaven. It's a party where everybody gets to have the best time and everybody comes from all over. But if we start now, well, why not, right? Why wait till the party is scheduled to begin. <laughs> Let's let the party get started now, giving freely and inviting everyone to join us in celebrating God's kingdom here on earth. Amen. <laughs>